As he had done countless times before, John Wills, Coach Wills, walked onto a football field. Wills was already a legend, and now entered his tenth year leading the Buckeye program, and what a run it had been. He was not athletic director Lynn St. John's first choice to be coach, but Wills, who cut his teeth as a player and captain at Wisconsin, had found his stride and a home at Ohio State. He had a higher belief in his men, in his team. Where football was a rough and tumble sport, he would teach them to play with integrity. They would behave like gentlemen on and off the field. And when the going got tough, when all seemed lost, he coined a term to motivate the team to push forward, intestinal fortitude. It was that intestinal fortitude and drive that led Wilson's Buckeye teams. The new kid on the block in the Western Conference in 1913 quickly rose to the height of champions. The Buckeyes were champions in 1916 and 1917 under the dashing, dazzling runs of All-American halfback Chick Harley. But Wilson's team was doing more than winning Big Ten championships. They were breaking curses. The jinx that had plagued the Buckeyes? An 0-13-2 record against the Michigan Wolverines. That ended in Ann Arbor in 1919. Chick Harley raced around the end and into the history books, sparking the rivalry to come. And Wills proved that he was building a program that transcended individual players. With the awe-inspiring Chick Harley graduated, halfback Pete Stinchcomb picked up the torch and illuminated the path forward to capture another championship in 1920, the Buckeyes' first ever trip to the Rose Bowl. The grandstands of Ohio Field, where the men of Scarlet and Gray were so dominant, overflowed. With ticket demand soaring, with more than a million dollars of public funding raised, a new stadium would be built. Steel was erected, concrete poured, and the clang of work shadowed over the 1921 season as the Buckeyes posted a 5-2 record and a second-place finish in the Big Ten. OSU had a sharp reminder of where they came from that year, losing to Oberlin 6-7. It was the last time Ohio State lost to a team from the state of Ohio. And it was another shocking loss that ended the season on a down note. Just as the Illini had handed Chick Harley his only ever loss at Ohio State in his senior season, so too had the cursed team from Champaign sprung a massive upset to beat OSU in the Buckeyes' very last game on Ohio Field. But that was the past now. That was last season. Today, on this day, Wills breathed in the air around him. He looked up. Was he dreaming? Around him rose a coliseum the likes of which had never been seen west of the Appalachia. It was a stadium for all of Ohio, and his Buckeyes took the field against the Wolverines for the dedication game. So far, the team had seen success. While it was the dedication game, it was actually the third game in the brand new Ohio Stadium. Just as the program had kicked off against Ohio Wesleyan in their first game in 1890, so too did the Buckeyes christen Ohio Stadium two weeks earlier with a win against Owu. For good measure, they shut out Oberlin 14 to nothing in their next contest, avenging the shocking loss a season earlier. But something was off. Amid the tremendous moment of the building of the stadium, a moment that so many had worked so hard for, the team faltered. Michigan walked away a 21 to nothing victor, another feather in the cap for legendary Michigan coach Fielding Yost before an announced crowd of 77,000 at Ohio Stadium. Then, like a switch flipping, OSU football under the unflappable Wills faltered. The Buckeyes played poorly. 
finishing with the worst record in Wilson's tenure of 3-4. It was Wilson's first ever losing season at Ohio State. Now, with this cathedral of football built, this new Ohio Stadium, the program continued to sputter. In the following season, the Buckeyes finished 8th in the Big Ten. A 7th place finish followed that, and another 8th place finish in 1925. Suddenly, it seemed like the Buckeye program that was thought to be the jewel of the Big Ten was an embarrassing afterthought. Ohio Stadium sat half-empty, game after game after game. Many were asking, what had happened? As the sun rose on the 1926 season, Coach Wills took stock. Chick Harley and Pete Stinchcomb were now distant memories. The Buckeyes averaged 33,000 in attendance, about half of Ohio Stadium's capacity. Ohio State was looking for their first winning record in the Big Ten since Ohio Stadium had opened four years earlier. Had the game passed Coach Wills by? Wills, the genius who helped revolutionize the game by mixing the pass with the run? Wills, who in addition to coaching the team had a medical degree. Could he stitch the program back together? Or had the university blundered in creating this concrete horseshoe monster that sat half-empty under blue-gray autumn skies? Coach Wills felt the pressure of the mounting criticism. He was entering his 14th season as coach. And as coach, he had set Columbus ablaze 10 years earlier with a passion for football. It was his 1916 team that had downed mighty Illinois thanks to the last second heroics of Chick Harley in the mud in the muck en route to OSU's first ever Big Ten championship game. Now, after four seasons of 7th and 8th place finishes in the Big Ten, Wills had a new objective. He would need intestinal fortitude of his own. The program, his program, his team, they would need to rediscover fire and light up Columbus once more. After four down years, did these Buckeyes really have the talent to turn things around? Wills was not a man of loose words, and he saw in the character and talent of his team something special. Speaking to members of OSU's freshman class before the season, Wills said, We will have a good team. I say it without contradiction. A super team may rise up and beat us, but I say again, we'll have a good team. With the Buckeyes coming off four down seasons, the team didn't really have real stars. But there was a buzz throughout campus. There were whispers. There was an attitude in the way that Coach Wills, a man who never went beyond what should be said with his words. Well, there's a way he was talking about this team. Could this be the team that returned the Buckeye program to glory? Could this be the team, 10 years after his first Big Ten championship, that would lift Ohio State back into the limelight? as one of the conference's powers. The lantern gazed into its crystal ball and surveyed prospects for the season ahead. This season, no such highly touted star will be among those who take the field for the first kickoff. The fans who gather at the stadium tomorrow to see the Buckeyes start against Wittenberg will go there believing little less than the reports that they have heard that Dr. Wills has some of the best material for a winning team that he's had for some time. They will believe Ohio State has a good team this year. That's what this department, too, believes, that Ohio State has a good team and not a famous star who's going to win the game single-handed. The Buckeyes would turn to speedy sophomore halfback Byron Ebby, joined in the backfield by Freddie Grimm and quarterback Robin Bell. OSU's line looked rock-solid, led by the punishing blocks of guard Ed Hess, who had earned All-American honors the season before. These Buckeyes, sure, might not be setting hearts of sports journalists aflutter, 
but Coach Wills was confident in the talent he had. The schedule appeared to be favorable for the Buckeyes too. After opening against Wittenberg and Ohio Wesleyan, OSU would make their way to the polo grounds of New York City to take on Columbia. The second half of the schedule would see them travel to Chicago, host Michigan and Iowa at home, and then finish the season in Champaign against Illinois. Preseason reports indicated that OSU's foes were destined for down years. Most of Columbia's line graduated. Chicago and Iowa lost a lot to graduation, and Illinois' great halfback, Red Grange, also went to the pros the season before. The one team that, on paper, didn't seem to miss a beat was Michigan. Fielding Yost Michigan men won the Big Ten the previous season in 1925 and returned 14 men from that squad, including their All-American quarterback, Benny Friedman. The Wolverines again stood as the favorite to repeat as Big Ten champs. As it often was, a November clash against the Wolverines looked like it would go far in defining the season to come. Ohio State started fast in their opening game against Wittenberg and Ohio Wesleyan. Wittenberg was down 40 to nothing. Wesleyan fell 47 to nothing as OSU sophomore halfback Byron Ebby dashed for a long touchdown of 66 and 43 yards. Blowing out in-state competition wasn't a surprise, but this was different. The 47 points were the most the Buckeyes had scored in any game in years. Now, for the first time in a long time, it looked like Wilson's men may have an offense. And for the first time, before the spectators in the new Midwestern Coliseum of Ohio Stadium, faint whispers began that this OSU team had the type of stuff it took to win big. OSU was 2-0 and things were about to get a whole lot tougher. For the first time ever, a Big Ten team was set to travel to New York. In the rain, in the mud, on the New York polo grounds awaited the undefeated Columbia Lions. Columbia stood as a formidable foe, and its path on the gridiron had been rockier than most. The Lions played in the fourth ever college football game in history, coming up short to Rutgers in 1870. Five years later, the Lions roared to a 4-1-1 record and a national championship. But in 1905, after deaths from college football mounted, Columbia banned football. Then, as player safety improved, Columbia reinstituted the game a decade later and quickly returned to form with an undefeated season. The Lions weren't on the same level of perennial powers like Princeton, Harvard, or Yale, but they knew how to win, and were coming off a 6-3-1 record the season before. They also had revenge on their mind, as they had left Columbus the previous year 9-0 losers. Wills again had his Buckeyes ready. Ohio State rolled over Columbia, 32-7. Columbia had no match for OSU speed as halfback Freddie Grimm notched three touchdowns, including a 65-yard pick six. The Lantern reported the results from New York City, where 30,000 fans watched the OSU victory. A strong Eastern football team has been defeated by a powerful Buckeye 11. But the East ends at the Hudson River, if you take a New Yorker's word for it, and that leaves a whole lot of territory yet to be conquered by the visitors. And conquer more territory, the Buckeyes did. Wilson's Magic Men stormed the Big Ten. Iowa and Chicago fell easily. Wilmington College, too, would be no match for OSU. The Buckeyes stood at 6-0 and in first place in the Big Ten. The team that they would welcome next was one that around the country pundits were saying was the best in the land. A team that was also undefeated in the Big Ten. A team that OSU had never beat before in Ohio Stadium. 
a team that was coming off a national championship season and playing like they deserved another. Michigan. Even for legendary Michigan coach Fielding Yost, who had coached some of the best teams in college football history, this Michigan team was good. And the Michigan program was flying. The Wolverines were not perfect, though. They suffered a 10-0 loss two weeks earlier to Powerhouse Navy in front of 80,000 fans in Baltimore's Municipal Stadium. Navy was the only team to score a touchdown against the Wolverines all year. In fact, no Big Ten team had scored a touchdown against Michigan in two years. Two years! It was Michigan week. Columbus was electric. Hotels around the city were booked weeks in advance. Tickets seemed near impossible to get. Ohio Stadium, which typically sat half empty with 30 to 40,000 attendants, was sold out. One season ago, Red Grange played his final collegiate game for Illinois, and 85,000 came out to the horseshoe to see it. But this game, this Michigan contest, would be even bigger. The biggest attendance in OSU history. So big that the board of directors approved a measure to issue 2,000 standing room only tickets. The scene would become one we'd recognize today. On a clear, blue, sunny day in November, the Wolverines and Buckeyes clashed in Columbus. A record crowd of 90,411 filled the horseshoe. 10,000 more stood outside the gates of Ohio Stadium clamoring to get in and turning their ears to the sky to hear the roar of the crowd and call of the game. A couple folks tried to scale Ohio Stadium's fences and, well, didn't quite make it, falling back to the ground with some minor injuries. Wills knew that a victory against Michigan would clear a path for a Big Ten championship. Before Wills, no Ohio State coach had ever defeated Michigan, and Wills was now gunning for victory number four in the 23rd renewal of the game. The undefeated Buckeyes got off to a fast start, knocking through a field goal. OSU added a touchdown as fullback and team captain Mary Corot smashed through into the end zone. Michigan's streak of not allowing a Big Ten opponent to score a touchdown was over. OSU led 10 to nothing in the first quarter, but the Wolverines would not go down without a fight. Behind a dynamic duo of two Bennies, quarterback Benny Friedman and pass catching end Benny Osterbahn, the Wolverines fielded a potent passing attack. Friedman faked a field goal and hit Osterbahn on a 15-yard TD pass. Then he added a field goal in the dying moments of the first half to bring the game level at 10-10, and Michigan kept punching, hurting OSU on special teams. OSU fumbled a punt deep in their own territory. The Wolverines recovered and punched it in to take a 17-10 lead into the second half. It isn't known what Will said to his men. It isn't known what he saw in their eyes. One can't begin to know what it felt like for the first time in Columbus to see Ohio Stadium filled with more than 90,000. But in that moment, when Michigan had punched back, the Buckeyes came out for a final drive in the fourth quarter, starting at their own 31. And then it happened. The offense clicked into gear and OSU was on the march. They were marching in front of frenzied fans in the shadow of the stadium that prior victories against Michigan and Illinois in 1916 and 1917 had built. They marched and in doing so, they put on their best Chick Harley impressions. Chick Harley, the Michigan killer. Chick, the star who first bested the Wolverines. Halfback Byron Ebby dashed into the end zone with under two minutes left. The crowd roared pandemonium in Columbus. The score was 16-17, and OSU lined up for the extra point to tie. The snap was good, 
The kick was dead on and sailed under the crossbar. Michigan star Benny Osterbahn had shot off the end and spooked OSU's kicker, who hurried and missed the attempt. The Buckeyes lost by a single point. Even in losing, Ohio State appeared the better side. Coach Wills needed the team to rebound from the heartbreaker and turn their attention to a foe Ohio State hadn't beaten in three seasons, a foe that had thwarted some of OSU's great teams and seasons as much as Michigan. Their next opponent was Illinois. It was only one season earlier that Red Grange had ended his collegiate career with a 14-9 Illinois victory over Ohio State in Ohio Stadium. While it was Grange's last gallop in collegiate football, that year marked the debut of another important player. To symbolize the long life of the rivalry, a live turtle was selected to serve as the trophy for the game. But fortune did not smile on the turtle, and the symbol for long life died on April 14, 1926, only months after its debut. But while the turtle was gone, the trophy, for the first time, was born. The Illinois student newspaper, the Daily Illini, detailed the news. Illibuck's fleshy form, having passed into the eternal halls of Valhalla, a wooden effigy of the famous animal, will perpetuate the tradition. Wills' team had been stung by the loss to Michigan, but the team's performance and a full Ohio Stadium showed what could be. Illinois would be a real test. The Illini were 6-1, and one, and like the Buckeyes, had suffered their only loss of the season against Michigan. Wilson's men took the field. It was frigid and windy in Champaign. It was a day the Buckeyes would not soon forget. Sophomore halfback Byron Every was a force of nature when he entered the game. He dashed for a second quarter touchdown and crucially, the Buckeyes nailed the extra point to take a 7-0 lead. The lantern described Ebby's seemingly unstoppable play. It was the ending of a season for Ohio State teams but not for a young man named Byron Ebby. It was the beginning of a career that promises to be about as brilliant as any career that has ever been recorded by a football player on a Big Ten gridiron. He used his wits, not like Red Granger nor Chick Harley, but like a Byron Ebby. His art of fainting and of stepping out around had the Illinois tacklers slipping off of him as if he were a grease channel swimmer instead of a football player. OSU hung to a touchdown lead in the wind and cold of Champaign, but then the cruel whip of fortune seemed to snap back again. Late in the game, Illinois marched and marched and marched. All told, the drive was 76 yards and culminated with a score to bring the game to 7-6. Now Illinois lined up to kick the game-tying extra point. Wills looked on as Illinois lined up. Maybe this was how the season was supposed to go for Wills. After four back-to-back -back years of floundering in the Big Ten, maybe this was his fate, to suffer heartbreak against Michigan, losing because of a missed extra point, only to see it followed up by a heartbreaking tie against bitter rival Illinois. It seemed a cruel fortune for this team, for this coach, who had done so much to build this program. But in the winds of Champaign, this would be a different day. The snap, the kick, no good. Illinois had missed the extra point, the Buckeyes won 7-6. After rumblings from sports columnists that Wills had lost it, after the team and program had been doubted, after Ohio Stadium sat mostly empty on Saturdays, this Buckeye team roared to a 7-1 record. 
The moment was not lost. The lantern recapped the season. The records will show that the 1926 Scarlet and Gray football team coached by Dr. Jack Wills was one of the best in the gridiron history of Ohio State. And if any of them are seeking a period to point back to and say, them were the good old days, they probably will select the vintage of 1926. Wills did not mince words how he felt about his players, his men. This was the best running and blocking team he had ever coached. At a year-end gathering, he said, Ohio State's team this year is one of the best in the country. For the first time since the building of Ohio Stadium, the Buckeyes finished the season with a winning record. But for a missed extra point, this team would have claimed a share of the Big Ten title. And just like that, the criticism of Wills, who had done so much to build the program, receded, at least temporarily. One thing was clear. This team grinded. This team showed the grit and intestinal fortitude that had first seen Ohio State break through a decade earlier under the dashing runs of Chick Harley. Now, ten years on, amid the capacity crowd that ringed Ohio Stadium for the Michigan game, one could squint their eyes and see the glittering potential. Ohio State had the infrastructure to be a champion, and it had a coach who had brought them to those heights before. In the face of adversity, amid calls that questioned Coach Wills' ability to do his job, he led the Buckeyes back. Under Coach Wills, these Buckeyes had rediscovered fire. Hey there, thanks for listening to I Want to Go Back, a podcast about the people, places, and events that shaped Ohio State football. I'm your host, Jim Baird. This podcast is part of Land Grant Holy Land's network of Buckeye podcasts. If you did like what you listened to, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Music for this season was provided by Fields Ohio, Fool's Fire, and Nick Jados. Thanks to you for really helping bring the, the history of the game to life with your music. A podcast like this builds on great research already out there. If you want to read more, I'd encourage you to check out a couple of things, including the official Ohio State Football Encyclopedia by the legendary Jack Park, and check the extraordinary rise of Ohio State football in the tragic schoolboy athlete who made it happen by Bob Hunter. Both of those books were invaluable resources as I put this series together. Thanks, and go Bucks.